Are we ready? All right, so if you guys have heard me give a message before, you know that I like to start out with a Bible scripture just because I feel it's a good place to get the ball rolling when you're giving a message. But today I thought I'd shake things up. I, I, I'm in my second time of doing this, so therefore I have experience. <laughs> and I'm going to actually start out with an illustration that I once heard a pastor give. And the illustration is this. There's a hungry rabbit. He sees a fat, plump hen. He knows it's going to be a satisfying, filling meal. So he decides to go after that hen. He starts chasing that hen. And about a mile down the road, he sees a rabbit. Now the rabbit is skinnier and thinner, and it won't be as satisfying as the hen would be. But he decides that it will be easier to catch that rabbit than it would be the hen. So he decides to chase the rabbit instead. Well, another mile into the chase, he sees a rat. Now the rat certainly will not be as satisfying or filling as the hen or even the rabbit would be. But again, he decides it will be easier to catch the rat than it will be the rabbit. So he starts to chase the rat. It ends with he's chasing that rat for a while. The rat runs into a hole. And he's left sitting there hoping that that rat will come back out. So what's the point of me giving you this illustration today? How many of you have started out believing God for something big in your lives only to end up with something small? Many have been like the fox, content with small achievements, whereas they started out for something big. And a lot of times we'll start out believing God for something big but start settling for less and less because they don't see it coming to pass in their lives until one day they end up with nothing. This message comes from a while back when I was presented an offer. Now, there was nothing wrong with this offer. It would look like a good offer, and it was an enticing offer. So I started considering it. Maybe I want to take that offer. But as I started considering it, I felt this struggle inside of me. And that's because I'm believing God for something bigger than what that offer was. If I was to take that offer, it would mean going in a different direction than where I had set my faith. And it would be a long time commitment. But I've been standing on this for years believing God would bring this to pass in my life. And it doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. So here's this offer. And again, it looks good. It, and it, it could be something I could have soon. As I said, I've been waiting on my faith for years. And here's this thing that I could have soon. It's not what I was believing God for, but it's not the worst either and it's better than what I have in my life. So I'm going back and forth on this, thinking and just struggling on the inside, having that eternal struggle. And finally, the Holy Spirit rose up on the inside of me and said, why are you trying to convince yourself to settle for less? Why are you trying to push back your faith when it wants to go forward? Well, you gotta love the Holy Spirit because these questions made me quit pondering the offer 
And then I started pondering something else. So you'll find on this message that I ponder a lot. And I ponder on random things. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. It depends on what you're pondering on. But <laughs> I decided, or I started pondering what it meant to settle. We have all heard the phrase, don't settle for less than God's best. But does settling have bigger consequences and ramifications than just being content with something smaller in your life? Well, I believe it does because, well, as I said, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it, but when you are trying to convince yourself to, str or to settle, you feel that eternal struggle inside you, knowing that you shouldn't, that you're, that's not where you put your faith. And so it's kind of like a flesh and a spiritual battle. Your spirit's going, no, go higher. Your flesh is going, settle, this is good enough. There are also times that I can think that I have settled in my life, that I knew it was wrong, the direction I went, but for whatever reason, and a lot of times it was out of fear, I decided to settle for something less than what I was believing God for. And it did have consequences, that my life didn't get better, it usually got more of a struggle, and it took a while to come out of that bad choice. So as I was pondering this and started studying it out, I did find that it is more serious than just being content. It is compromising your life, it is compromising your calling, and it's compromising God's standard. A couple of definitions of settle is resolve or put an end to. So when you settle on something less than what you were believing God for, you are settling or putting an end to that faith that you once had for something larger. You can see the consequences of settling in Genesis chapters 15 through chapter 17, and I'm not going to read out these chapters for time's sake, I'm going to give you a summary here of what's going on. So God is having a conversation with Abram. And at the time, he is still Abram. He's not Abraham yet. And God is telling him everything that he's going to bless him with. God is saying, I'm going to give you a huge reward. You can't even imagine what I'm going to do in your life. It's going to be so big and so grand. You're going to have to live through it just to, you know, know it all. And this should get Abram excited, right? He should be jumping up and down and shouting hallelujah. I know I would be if God was telling me he's going to bless me with all this. But that's not Abram, Abram's attitude at this point. And he goes to God and he's basically like, well, that's nice, God, but why? I don't have anyone to pass this on to I don't have a son. No one's going to inherit this from me. So who's, who's going to get all this after I die? I guess I could give it to my head servant. See, Abram's 75 year old, years old at this time. So he's older, and he's starting to think about these things. He's starting to think about the end of his life, and he's thinking, why is God going to give me all this when... I'll be passing soon, and there's no one to give it to. 
And God responds to him and says, no, you're not going to give it to your head servant. I'm going to give you a son, and you will have that flesh and blood to pass this all on to. Well, again, Abram should be excited. He's getting the son that he always wanted. And him and his wife, Sarai, have never been able to conceive. But again, he's not excited. And I'm sure it's because they try to have a child for so long and were just never able to. And they weren't able to in the barren age, and now they're way over that. So it's hard to believe that. So he responds to God again and says, how can I be sure? I need something more. So God makes a covenant with Abram, swearing to him. God is swearing to him that he's going to give him that son. Well, as I said, Abram at that time was 75 years old. So fast forward, Abram's now 85 years old, and he still doesn't have that son. Now Sarai, his wife, she's probably freaking out by this time of... She goes to Abram, and she basically says, I can't give you a son. This isn't going to work. I've never been able to conceive a child, and I know God promised us that, but it's been 10 years, and nothing has happened, and now we're even older. She's like, but I have plan B. She tells Abram to conceive a child with her servant, Hagar, Then he will have a son. The Bible says that she says that she's going to take the child after he's born and raise the child as if it was her own. So she's going to be the mother, and life should be great, right? Well, this is where everything goes downhill. Faith at this point is at an all-time low. Sarai has no faith that she could be able to conceive a son. She just, she looking at it of, I've never have been in the past, and now I'm way too old. It's just not going to happen. So I'm sure this is weighing on her mind. And she, and it's been 10 years since God said anything. So she's, she's racking her brain of, how, how are we going to get this to work? So she does come up with this plan. She presents it to Abram. Well, it looks like a good offer, right? He's going to be a father. He's going to have a son. His flesh and blood to pass his inheritance on to. She's going to raise a child after it's born. So she's going to be the mother of the child. He's going to be a dad. She's going to be a mom. They're going to have this family. It should be great. Sure. Maybe it's not exactly what God had said or even what they had been believing for. But in the end, they both get what they want, right? So Abram decides to settle and goes along with the offer. What was supposed to be a good thing turns into turmoil. Sarai turns resentful of Hagar and the son she gives birth to, Ishmael, She does not mother Ishmael because she has so much animosity towards him. The Bible also says that Abram did not hear from God again until he was 99 years old. 
So 13 years go by. Abram's house is full of grief, bitterness, strife, and hostility. And on top of that, he's not hearing from God. So we can see how it's affected Abram's life, and we see how it's affected his household. But the consequences run so much more deeper than that. Hagar, when she was pregnant, she ran away because of Sarai's hostility. An angel appears to her and tells her to go back and to submit under Sarai. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 10 through 12, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. So that they shall not be counted, or so they shall not be counted for multitude. And the and the angel of the Lord said to her, "Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him." And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Did you guys know that through Ishmael, the Islam nation was born? Muslims believe that Ishmael is the promised son of God and not Isaac. So therefore, they believe that they are God's chosen people and not the Jewish people. So by Abram settling, it did not just affect him, it did not just affect his household, but it affected the world as we know it today. Now we are starting to see the seriousness of settling. Now you might tell me, or you might look at me and go, well, I've settled in my life before, or maybe I'm contemplating settling now, but I'm sure it's not going to dramatically change the world. <laughs> it might change my life, but not the world. And maybe that's true. But it does have ramifications when you settle. It's not just, oh, well, doesn't matter. So we're going to dive deeper into this issue of settling. Now, going back to Abram, the issue was not that he settled. And I know, I just was telling you that it was. <laughs> and I gave you this example of what happened when he settled. That's what it looks like, but it goes deeper. The issue was he broke covenant with God. Covenant in its simplest form, and I hate to use a simplest form because covenant means so much more. I encourage you guys, if you don't know what covenant means, to study it out and to learn what, you know, the meaning of covenant is. Kenneth Copeland does awesome books about it, and he just explains it so well. So I can assure you guys, if you study it out, it will take your faith to new heights, and it will change your life so much. But again, for time's sake, I'm going to stick with the simplest form here. So covenant means that at least two people come together in agreement about something. You need two parties to agree upon something for there to be a covenant. It's a two-way street. So what was the covenant in Abram's case? Well, God promised him a son. What was Abram's responsibility in it? 
he was supposed to take God at his word and believe him that God was going to make this come to pass in his life. When Abram chose to settle, he chose to stop believing what God had said. He, we can see, started out believing God for something big, God's full word, God's promise to him, but he ended up settling for something smaller. Now this whole Bible right here, every word in it is God's word to you and to I. It's his covenant, his promises that he makes to us. And when we see something in this Bible that we get excited about, whether it's healing, prosperity, protection, deliverance, whatever it is, you see in this Bible, you get excited about it because you're like, I want that in my life or I need that in my life. I am desperate for that. That's what I need get excited, well, the first thing you should do is stop and take a pause and recognize the step you're about to take. Joshua chapters 1 verse 8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that, it, that is written in it. For then, you will for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And I have it written down in my notes. The message translation says, And do not for a minute let this book of Revelation be out of mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night. When we see something in this book that we need in our lives, we are supposed to stop camp on those scriptures, study them out, meditate on them, get them in you, get them in your spirit, build your faith upon that. Because once you speak out that prayer of faith going, God, your word, let's say healing, your word says by Jesus' stripes, I am healed and I believe that I'm healed and I thank you, Lord, and hallelujah, well, once you open your mouth and you go to God with it, you've now stepped into a covenant with him. I have seen, and if I'm honest, I have done it in my own life, where you hear a message, where you see a scripture, you get excited about it because I need that in my life. I want that in my life. And so going back to healing, let's just go back to healing. You say... I see that, I'm excited, I believe for it in my life, hallelujah, I'm healed, thank you, Lord. But then later, even a few hours later, I've seen people go, I'm so sick, I'll never get better. I, I, I'll probably die from this disease. I'll have to take medication the rest of my life just to, you know, hold the symptoms back that I'm experiencing. Well, what happened? They spoke words that were supposed to be faith. They entered a covenant saying, I believe you, God. I trust you, God. You're my healer. You're healing me. But then not even that much time goes by, and they just walk away from it. They drop it. They don't believe that that could happen in their lives. 
Words mean everything to God. It is how he brought everything in this world into existence by speaking it out. You know, one night, Casey and I were watching this show, and it was on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if you don't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, they are these manuscripts that they found in a cave outside of the Dead Sea, hence the name Dead Sea Scrolls. And, on, and they're written on parchment paper. And so by the time they find these, they're old, you know, with human interaction and just weather and stuff. They're like all in pieces and kind of destroyed. But as they piece these back together, they find that they are the books of the Old Testament. And they're a big deal because these are the oldest known texts of the Old Testament books. So the Israeli government takes all this and starts piecing it together. And they find almost everything. I think there's only two books out of the Old Testament that they didn't find script on. But they found, you know, scripts on every one of the books. Like the book of Psalms, I think they have almost the whole book of Psalms minus a few chapters. And the book of Isaiah, I believe that they did find the whole book of Isaiah, or at least almost the whole book. So what I found interesting, again, me going back to the things I ponder, <laughs> is what they found in Genesis. Now this is probably, or this was the smallest piece of evidence they found of Genesis. Because it's just this little piece of paper, and it only has four words on it. But these four words they know is from Genesis because of what they say. And those four words are, let there be light. God's very first words that he spoke to bring everything into existence. So I started pondering this because I ponder on weird things. And maybe I overanalyze things, but that's okay. I was thinking, now I believe that God reveals these things and he will reveal more and more evidence of, you know, the Bible is truth. The Bible is real as we get closer to the end of days. So I believe that he lets us find these things. They're evidence that the Bible is real. So I was thinking, out of everything he could have revealed in Genesis, why was it these four words, let there be light? Well, those four words must matter very much to God still, that he would reveal them to us. His very first words, let there be light. God has never spoken anything that he did not believe wouldn't come into existence. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Every word that God speaks has purpose. It has a direction that it's supposed to go, and it's supposed to come back in prosperity. It's not supposed to come back void. There is nothing that he would say that he didn't believe had a purpose, had a meaning of where it's supposed to go. Well, the Bible says in Genesis 1.27, 
God created man in his own image. We are the only living creatures that God created that breathed his spirit into us. We are the only living creatures that God gave the ability of words that we can speak things into our lives, that our words should matter. There are so many times when, just going back to the person who's believing for healing, but then starts saying, oh, I'm not healed and everything, there are so many times that we open our mouths and words just fall right out of it. So most of the time we don't even stop and think about what we're saying. But we should. Mark eleven twenty three says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in this, into the sea, but does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. You can have whatever you say. In fact, God expects you to use your words just like he does to speak things into your life. But you got to believe. God expects your words to be faith-filled words. Your words are what enters you into a covenant with God. And faith is what's going to keep you there. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they give an account of it in the day of judgment. When we start believing God for something big, when we go to him with that prayer of faith saying, God, I believe you. Uh, you said you'd do this in my life. And I'm believing for it to come to pass. But then you turn around and you settle for something less or you just settle on the fact that it's never going to happen in your life. Those words that we first spoke in faith become idle. The Bible says you give an account of that the day of judgment. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith. It is impossible to please God. What are you going to do if you're standing there in front of God one day and he said, I fully had your healing ready for you. I said I'd give it to you. Why didn't you stand? Why didn't you believe? You started out believing. What happened? Why did you end it? What are you what are you going to tell God? Do you want to stand there and try to explain that? I know I wouldn't. Do you know what idle means? It means something is on or operating, but it is not moving forward. And a prime example of that would be a car idling. We can have a car turned on. We can be listening to the radio, have the lights on, have the heat going because it's cold this time of year. But as long as that car is in parked, it's not moving anywhere. It's not going forward. Just because you settle for less than what you were believing for does not mean that that bigger thing is not out there. But it is stuck idling because you walked away. Abram settled for less, but that did not mean his promised son was not there. 
God said it, and everything that God says comes into existence. He had to come down, give Abram fresh revelation, so that Abram would pick his faith back up, go back to that covenant, and see it through. So maybe this message has made you remember something big you were once believing God for, but through time you've settled for less or you settled on the fact that it's not going to happen for you. I think in school we all learned how the Grand Canyon was formed, that, with the, that water eroded volcanic rock, and that's how we got the Grand Canyon. Well, time is what erodes our faith. We get excited, we see something in the Bible, we hear a message, we get excited, we want that in our lives, we need that in our lives. So we jump up and down, excited, we go to God going, thank you, Lord, you said that you would give this to me in my life and I need it, so thank you, Lord, I believe that you're gonna do this for me. And we are just ecstatic and then time goes by. A week, a month, a year, years. That excitement starts to lessen. Those scriptures that we were standing on at one time, we start to get lenient on them. We spoke them every day. We spoke them a few times a day because we knew that 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 was our key. God said so. But then time goes by. And we start speaking them every other day, and once a week, once a month. Pretty soon we forget where that scripture was that we were standing on. This is when we settle for less, convincing ourselves that this is good enough. Well, I did want that in my life, but you know, my life's okay right now. It's fine. I don't need that. It's good enough. Or worse, we just settle that we're not going to have that in our lives. Convincing ourselves that God must have not wanted that for me. That's such a lie from the pit of hell. If God did not mean for you to have something, he would not have said it. He would not have put it in his word. Again, God's words mean everything to him. It should mean everything to us. Do not let the devil's words of, this is not going to happen for you. Sure, it happens for some people, but it's not going to happen for you. Or, you can't have this because whatever reason he fills in the blank with, don't let those words be more convincing than God's word. Time is the silent killer of faith. 1 Timothy verse 6 through 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. I think a lot of times when we read this scripture or we've heard this scripture, we prepare ourselves mentally for a battle the devil's going to throw at us. Well, I'm believing for finances, so, you know, something bad is going to happen, you know. The devil's going to present this huge financial problem for me to try to knock me off my faith. That's true. The devil does use trials and tribulations 
to try to get us to walk away from our faith. But the fight of faith really comes into play when that month goes by, when that year goes by, when years go by. Are you willing to stand on your confession as it was day one? Are you willing to hold on to it tightly? Or are you considering your other options? Are you considering plan B? It's been such a long time. I've been waiting for this forever. And now I'm getting to a point in my life, I'm getting older in my life. And I was believing for this when I was younger. And now I'm not sure if I have the energy or the excitement to still do it. Or I see younger people, I see the younger people have what I'm believing for. And it just feels like life is passing me by. Are you gonna still stand when you're feeling that way? I once heard Kenneth Copeland say, you are willing to wait forever, you will find you will not have to wait for long. This sounds good in theory, but in practice it takes total commitment and determination. But if we are to go to God in faith and pray a prayer of faith saying, Lord, you said I can have this in my life, it's in your word, and I'm choosing to believe you at your word, the absolute mindset we should have if we have that mindset of, I'm going to stand here, I'm praying my prayer of faith, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to wait, and if it takes forever, I will wait right here until it manifests in my life. I don't care how much time it takes, and if Jesus comes down and picks me up and takes me to heaven, I wait that long, well, so be it. I will stand here and wait. If we have that kind of attitude, what happens? Well, now we've taken time out of the equation. Therefore, time cannot kill your faith. We should be so focused on the end result of our faith that it does not matter how many days on the calendar has passed by. As many of you know, Kelby and Casey and I were up here this summer working out there and for you that don't know, Pastor Joan is working to open up her own coffee bar out there. And so we were helping her get everything ready. And There was one Saturday that we were talking about everything and it really stuck with me. She was looking at all of it and she looked at me and she said, do you know this is 20 years in the making? I've been believing God for my own business for 20 years. I don't even know if some of you been alive for 20 years. That's a long time. <laughs> but 20 years. Now, throughout that time, she had different vision and different, you know, belief of what kind of business she would open, and it's changed throughout the years, but one thing always stayed the same. She believed she was going to open her own business. Now, what would have happened is, say, five or six years in of her believing it, she looked at her life and she said, you know, 
I'm a mother to five beautiful kids. I work in the ministry. I think they were youth pastors at time, but they knew they were going to be pastors and have their own church. She could have said, I'm a mother. I work in the ministry. I work for God. I don't need that in my life. God probably doesn't want me to have that in my life. I can't run a business and be in the ministry. So, you know, this is good enough. I don't need my own business. Well, what would have happened if she would have had that attitude during the 20 years? She wouldn't be to the place she is now to where she's very close to opening that. And she has this new, fresh vision that she's running with. And it's just going to get bigger and bigger from here. So how do we get to a place where time is not an object? Going back to Abram, God came back to Abram when he was 99 years old and gave him fresh revelation. If you settled for something less in your life, or you just completely given up on something, first thing I would do is ask God for forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you for walking away from the covenant you made with him. The great thing about God, though, is he always forgives us. He's going to be like, I forgive you. All right, let's pick this ball back up. Let's get going. Which goes into my second point. Ask God for fresh revelation. God's word is living word. You can read a scripture a thousand times, and if you are open... God will always reveal something new about it to you. And lastly, communicate with God. I really liked what Riley said last week when we were in praise and worship, and she said, it's okay to not be okay. Why do we try to pretend with God? (laughs) Why do we think that, well, as long as I look like I have it all together, things are good? He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. Don't pretend with God. If you're disappointed, talk to God about it. I'm disappointed, Lord. If you're struggling, talk to God about it. I'm struggling, Lord. He can't help you in your life if you're not going to be honest with him. He can't move in your life if you're not going to be honest. And I hope that going forward, you guys remember that when you set your faith to something, it's not just about, well, I'm going to believe God for it one minute and something bad's going to happen and I'm going to walk away from it. It's something very serious. You're entering a covenant with God. It's not something that should be taken lightly. Your faith and your words, God takes very seriously. So should you. But on that same token, remember, you are entering a covenant with God. He is your partner. You're in partnership with him. Now, I'm sure we've all been in the situation in life before through school or work or wherever where you had a project to get done and you were partnered with somebody. Now, sometimes you got a partner and you're like, oh, I am so excited I got this partner. They are smart, they're organized, they're creative. 
we're going to get through this project with a breeze is going to go great. Then there's other times that you got that partner and you're like, oh, great, I got them. Guess I'll be doing all the work because they are lazy. <laughs> Hopefully no one thinks of you that way. <laughs> but what's my point here? You have the ultimate partner. You have God as your partner. First of all, he spoke it, and everything he speaks comes into existence. So if it's in his word, it's coming to pass in your life. Second, where am I? <laughs> you should never feel like you're trying to wrestle something from God, that you're struggling to take it out of his grasp. No. He wants to work with you. He knows the end from the beginning. He shows you where to go. He leads you on the correct path of how to get there for whatever you're believing for to come to you in the natural realm. He's going to lead you the right way. And third, God is determined. He is more determined for you to have that thing in your life than you are. We walk away, but God never walks away. He will always be standing there, waiting. And if it takes years, he's right by your side, with you, determined and waiting. I think that that last one is the hardest to believe. Why would God care if I have what I'm believing for? I'm one person out of a billion people, and God is God of the universe. Why would he care? I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, out of the message. It says, it is impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. You have to believe that God cares about you that God is by your side working with you. He's your partner. He's determined. You prayed it out, and he's determined to see it through. Why? Because he spoke it. God's words mean everything to him. Everything he says comes into existence. You want that in your life? You say, I believe for it in my life? God's going to give it to you. Now, I hope that my message today didn't discourage anyone. As I said, we've all been there. We've all settled for less than God's best. And there have been times that we settled that we're not going to get that. But if you were at that point or are at that point, pick it back up. That's what my message is. Pick it back up. Go back to that covenant you made with God and see it through. And if, you're con if you were contemplating giving up on your faith, going for plan B, I hope this has encouraged you not to give up, to keep pushing forward, to go ahead. Psalms 27 verse 14 out of the passage translation says, here is what I've learned through it all. Do not give up. Do not be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave 
and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. Don't ever give up. God will never disappoint you. He's right by your side going. You know why I get up here and give messages. Not because Pastor Dan asks me to. I am honored that he would trust me to come up and run the church while he's gone. But I also know that I could say no, and he would respect that if I didn't feel comfortable doing it. And I don't give a, get up here and give a message because I want to stand in front of you all and make you listen to what I have to say. <laughs> not why I do it. I know you think that's why I do it, but that's not why I do it. The reason that I do it is because it breaks my heart to see people struggle in their lives. It breaks my heart when people are up here, the pastors are praying for them, and they're just at a low point in their lives. I can guarantee you I'm in the back crying because I don't want to see people struggle. I have my own struggles and my own things that I got to work through, but it breaks my heart more to see others struggle. Breaks my heart to see people that I love and care about, my family struggle. To see people look at life so despairingly and almost in fear because they have no vision and they just can't imagine how life could get better for them. It breaks my heart. So I get up here because I don't, I can't change their lives, but God can. I don't have the words to say to make their life better, but God does. And if I can help anybody by letting God use me, then I will. And I'll be brave and get up. So I'm just going to end my message with this. 2 Corinthians chapters 5, verse 5, and the message translation says, The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what is ahead. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we will never settle for less. Going back to when I was telling you I feel that eternal struggle in me, well, that's because God put a little piece of heaven in me. Tell me not to settle for less than his best. You guys all have that in you too. I just encourage you guys not to settle in your lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for this message today. And I just trust that it has reached everybody in some way, that it's encouraged them to keep going strong with their faith and that they will not give up in their lives. That you're right by their side, seeing them through everything. I ask you, Lord, with everybody in here that is believing for whatever they're believing in their lives, that you give them fresh revelation. That you give them new vision. That you show them clearly where they need to go what they need to do to bring that thing into their life. I just thank you, Lord. 
just trust that everybody leave here today changed, more determined in their faith. Thank you for that, Lord. And I just ask that you bless all these people today going out of here, that they get